Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today our scripture reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, which says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. This is a wonderful verse that has really two parts to it. It talks about giving thanks to God. And of course, we always thank Him for our salvation. We always, always thank Him for the good blessings that He's given to us. The fact that we have a shirt on our back, the fact that we have food, the fact that we have a good lodging here in North America. So many people in the world don't have these things. But also the fact that we ought to just thank Him for the way that He watches over us each day and protects us and helps us. There's so many blessings that we are recipients of that we even take for granted. The second part of the verse talks about praying always for you. Paul here is praying for the people at Colossae, and we ought to pray for one another and be encouraging to one another and bless one each other. And it's always a privilege uh, when you run into someone and you say, well, I'm going to pray for you. You ought to pray for them right then. That's what I do because I don't, I don't like telling lies. Sometimes I tell people I'm going to pray for them and then I don't do that. I believe that's a sin. So I think we ought to pray often and always for one another. This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio a wonderful couple with Global Outreach Mission. We have Pastor Jacob Severage and his wife Sharon, who work in the southern provinces in India. Sharon is a missionary kid whose father is Raja Severage, 
who is a graduate of Prairie Bible Institute. She came from a rich Christian background, and Jacob shared how his family were not believers in Jesus Christ and how he became a, a believer through a neighbor who started a Sunday school class out of their home and served cinnamon buns. That was how he heard about Jesus. And today, Jacob, you have been in the ministry for just over 12 years, but you are just a young man. So how old were you when you turned your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ for full-time ministry? Uh, when I was 18 years old, that is the time I committed my life uh, completely to serve the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I was really interested in the part where you said about your parents literally throwing you out of your home and you had to live in the church. That's not a bad place to live, but no one wants to be thrown out of their home. But then they eventually gave their blessing to you to go to Bible college and you studied to become a pastor and you've been pastoring for over seven years and you have it in your heart to be a church planter. Tell us about your vision about planting churches in India. Uh, my vision and uh, the burden that God put to me, put in me is to uh, church planting. And uh, when I was in Bangalore, and uh, we see a lot of churches in Bangalore, every nook and every corner you see churches. Uh, uh, the desire was in me was to go and start a church where there is no churches to reach out the unreached. So then I wanted to. So then I started to pray about it to to go and to start churches. At that time, where I had a chance to come to move to Satyamangalam, which is a very remote area. So I was very happy to go there because I knew uh, that is the place where. Jesus is more needed, and uh, and I knew that I would go there and start planting churches. You just mentioned about Bangalore, where you've been living in southern India, that there were a number of churches. I know that most of our listeners realize that India is probably the second most populous country in the whole world, and there are many churches in India even though the Christians there are a very small minority, I think it's less than 10%, and it might be closer to 5% of Christians in that country. There's still a lot of people without the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, very true, because uh, India is a place with all mixed religion, and uh, you know most of the people, they, want, they like to have churches in the cities, but it's very few, they want the wanted to leave their comfort zone and go out uh, into remote places to serve the Lord. There were very few. And that was, that was when, when I saw that, you know, there have been so much needed, you know, uh, uh, to tell about Jesus uh, in places, in the remote places. So uh, that was the desire for me to go and start uh, planting churches and uh, to reach out the unreached. Praise the Lord. We're so thankful for men and women like you guys who are willing to give up the comfort, like you said, and go and plant churches in some very, very difficult places, and even in places where persecution takes place. Yeah, very true. I just would like to ask our listeners to pray for Jacob and Sharon Severaj and their church planting ministry in India. Thank you so much for being in the studio with us today, and God bless you as you plant churches all over India. Thank you. Yeah. Bless you too. Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you're aware, this is a listener-supported program. This month, we're offering a wonderful uh, booklet. It's entitled, The Critical Spirit. At the root of a critical spirit often lie insecurities, selfish interests, and an unrenewed mind. For some, critical attitudes are caught from a home life where, where criticism abounds. Let's see one another as the Lord sees us through the compassionate eyes of Jesus Christ. I'm sure if you order to get this booklet, remember to order your copy. Please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231.
Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning, and it's entitled, Things Which Must Surely Come to Pass. Printed copies are available upon request. In our studies of what the Bible refers to as things which must shortly come to pass, we've been discussing the symbolic significance of what are commonly called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Today we turn our attention to the last of the four horsemen, which the apostle John saw in his prophetic vision. This is how John described it in Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth, to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. This fourth rider mounted on the pale horse is the only one of the four whose identity is revealed by his name. His name, the passage says, is death. Evidently, death is going to play a major role in the chaotic days which will follow the removal of Christ's church from this world. The scripture before us says that during the short time between the translation of the church and Christ's return to set up his millennial kingdom, one quarter of the earth will be subject to a scourge of death resulting from war, the sword, from famine, natural causes, and even from a strange and unexplained role played by the beasts of the earth. Precisely what this means we're not told, but it clearly indicates that during the time when the coming Antichrist usurps the role of God, the generation that acclaims him the supreme head of a world's social and economic and political order, wholly void of moral restraints, will be made conscious of its mortality by its inability to prevent death. The rider on the pale horse will take a fearful toll despite all that advanced technology and medical science will be able to do and will do in that future day. In Revelation chapter 9, the sixth verse, there's an interesting statement referring to the same future time. It says, In those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. Evidently two strange, unexplainable situations will prevail on this earth at that time. On the one hand, there will be those who want to die to escape the conditions, but they will find that they cannot die. It says death will flee from them. Even suicide will be impossible. But at the same time, a scourge of death will take millions of lives throughout the earth. It is important for us to understand what the scriptures teach concerning the role of death as it relates to us individually and to society as a whole. The first biblical reference to death is in the second chapter of Genesis, verses 16 to 17. 
The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God had placed the man and the woman he had created in his own image, and to whom he had imparted life, in the garden of Eden. As their creator, he asked of them one thing, to trust him and to obey his express will. He spread before them all the abundance and affluence that he had prepared for their enjoyment and their good. He had not created them to be robots, but living personalities possessed with a will to choose. They were free will agents capable of self-discipline. The self-discipline they imposed upon themselves was to be the result of their voluntary obedience to their all-wise and all-loving divine creator. Failure to self-discipline themselves in this respect would have disastrous consequences. The fruit of this one tree, God said, is the only fruit in Eden I direct you to refrain from eating. If you do not discipline yourselves in accord with my expressed will, in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. You know the tragic story that is now history. Satan, the archenemy of God, deceived Eve into thinking that she could ignore God's express will with impunity, and even to her prophet. He had said, Ye shall not surely die. In fact, in the day thou eatest thereof, your eyes will be opened, and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. So Eve rationalized herself into believing that it, that it would be a wise and profitable thing to ignore the express will of God. And she ate of the forbidden fruit and persuaded Adam to do likewise. And death was the result. They died spiritually the moment they disobeyed God. Spiritual death is alienation from God. Their disobedience came between them and God and separated them from God. The perfect fellowship and oneness with him that they had known from the moment he gave them life was gone. And the cloud of judgment hung over them. Bible says they were afraid. Likewise, the process of physical death started to work the moment they sinned. It was only a matter of time until physical death would prevail, and their bodies would return to the dust from whence God had formed them. The consequences of their sin would extend to all future generations. Paul, speaking of Adam's sin, says in Romans chapter 5, By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. In Ephesians he speaks of all men being born dead in trespasses and sins. In Romans the sixth chapter he says, The wages of sin is death. This is a fundamental fact that all must recognize. And yet it is something millions ignore. It is a divine affirmation of the undeniable truth that applies to each and every individual and also applies to each and every society which men may devise. Death is the just wages of sin, which divine judgment meets out to all who ignore or reject or disobey the expressed will of God. We need to understand what the scriptures tell us about the manner in which death, the wages of sin, is meted out. God does not necessarily mete out the just wages of sin at the time the offense is committed. Adam lived for 930 years before the physical death sentence was carried out. During this life, just compensation for evil doing is often long delayed. You remember the psalmist was puzzled and even distressed by this in his day. In his 73rd Psalm, he said, 
I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. And they say, Doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. You see, David, like many of us today, had to learn that while payment of the wages of sin may be delayed, ultimately those wages are paid in full. There is a story told of a farmer who was an agnostic and who took exception to an editorial in his local newspaper, which urged respect for Sunday as one day rightfully set apart each week for the worship of God. It said God would honor those who would respect his day. The farmer wrote the editor, ridiculing the idea that respect for God and Sunday observance had anything to do with success in life. He said, this past year I cultivated all my fields on Sunday. I sowed my crops on Sunday. I harvested on Sunday. And I had the best crop this September of all the years that I've been farming. The wise old editor did uh, put this footnote at the end of the man's letter. God doesn't always settle his accounts in September. Coming back to what God intends us to learn from the prophetic vision he gave the apostle John of the rider on the pale horse. One fact stands out clearly. There is a day coming when God's long-suffering and patience will give place to judgment, and he will mete out the just wages of sin to a world of men and women who have earned precisely what they will receive. As one by one the seals are broken on the book containing the records and the indictments the four horsemen John saw will go forth into the world, the rider on the white horse, the Antichrist, and under him society will reap the ultimate consequences of rejecting God and his truth and his morality, and choosing instead to pursue their own cause, free of God's restraints of righteousness and justice, and the things that righteousness and justice requires of men. Then comes the rider on the red horse, war, violence, and bloodshed, the ultimate just consequences to men who reject any restraints on the lusts and evil destructive tendencies inherent in human nature as a result of men choosing to remain alienated from God, even when he sacrificed his son to make possible their reconciliation. Then comes the rider on the black horse, regimentation, famine, and want, a just recompense to a society that rejects the power of God, but puts unlimited earthly power in the hands of godless men, and abdicates its responsibilities as custodians of the physical resources God has provided. Finally, the fourth rider on the pale horse, whose name is Death, symbolizes the ultimate settlement of accounts by a just and holy God, 
who repeatedly has warned mankind that the wages of sin is death. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. There's one more very important aspect of this matter of man's sin against God and the ultimate consequences it will inevitably bring. There is a reason why God has so long endured not only man's disobedience and wrongdoing, but man's insults and disrespect and man's repudiation of all God says are right and just and true. The reason is God's infinite love for mankind. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God wants above all else to spare men and women the wages of sin. He delights in mercy. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Christ paid the entire penalty for all your offenses against God when he died in your place, having taken your sins upon himself. He accepted the wages of sin in your place, having done everything required to free you from the guilt of sin and open the way for you to be forgiven and restored to eternal fellowship with God. He was resurrected from the dead and is alive forevermore. As a living Savior, he asked you to admit him into your heart and life, that he may make you into a new creature with a new nature that delights in God and all that God represents. But you're a free will agent, just as Adam and Eve were in Eden when they chose to disobey God and by so doing brought the curse of sin on themselves and their descendants. You therefore have an inescapable decision to make. What will you do about Jesus Christ? Will you or will you not believe and acknowledge your need of him and accept him into your life as your Savior and your Sovereign Lord? I plead with you to accept him today. May God help. I trust the message you just heard was a great blessing to you and uh, maybe we'll be able to minister to you in a spiritual way. Here at uh, Canada's National Bible Hour, we have great concern about those who hear our broadcasts but don't know Jesus Christ personally. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. These are truths from the Word of God. All of us are sinners all of us need a savior. All of us have done things we're ashamed of. All of us have done things that are wrong and we know it. But our sins can be forgiven when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal savior. Your prayers and gifts will be much appreciated. You can also get a free copy of our booklet entitled Critical Spirit by writing Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. 
And don't forget to visit our website where you can hear past messages of Canada's National Bible Hour. We also have a new radio broadcast that's 24-7. It's an internet uh, broadcast that you can go on our website, www.missiongo-radio.org slash radio. And you can listen to not only past messages on Canada's National Bible Hour, but good Christian music, as well as other Christian messages who can share Bible doctrine with you each day. We also ask that you continue to please remember us in your prayers, and we trust the Lord will continue to bless you throughout this next week.